Hello, and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another gloomy day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today we're joined by Jason Austin of Unifabs, who will be joining our conversation on leadership. We always ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. So first up, we're joined by Jason Austin, Managing Director of Unifabs. Jason, hello. Good morning, Matthew. How are you? I'm very well. Well, why don't we dive straight in? What does the word leader mean to you? Um, well, I think it's, you know, it's evolved for me over the years, you know, um, going into sort of starting the last decade was, was very different. It was myself and a, a handful of employees. Um, and then 10 years on, uh, we've got a, a team of management and a hundred employees. So it has changed quite a lot. Wow. But, um, I think the main thing is really how you conduct yourself. I think there's a lot of businesses where, um, you know, the, the person at the top, their attitude, their commitment funnels through, um, you know, through the business and through everyone else in the business and, and how they treat people from, you know, obviously customers is really important, but then suppliers and the way I treat our employees is, is very important. Mm. So I think leading by example, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's key um, amongst many other things, but certainly, yeah, leading by example is uh, one of the main the main aspects. There must be a lot of uh, unique challenges about leading uh, by example with such a large workforce. How does that work? Well, initially, you know, it was a lot of dedication, a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, and then as time goes on, you've got to sort of work out how you can be a little bit smarter with the time. Things change from being, you know, very hands-on from what we call our shop floor, our factory floor, mm. to, you know, allowing other people then to, take responsibility so you know for me it's been more about you know empowering other empowering our employees to develop within the business and that's almost the case of me letting go of certain areas mm-hmm. um, but allowing them to you know make mistakes as I, I make mistakes but you know we see that as a, a learning curve and areas to improve so um, yeah constantly learning constantly improving but having a look at when we do make these failures looking at them as a positive and you know trying to embrace them but then you know, trying to put something in place to make sure it doesn't happen again um, and just keep that continuous sort of improvement going, really. Well, it's always challenging uh, as a leader to be able to, to take that step back, isn't it? You want to just get in and get your hands dirty, don't you? But it's it's most important to uh, make sure the next generation is ready, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly true. And, and one thing that we've, we've really sort of um, invested in over the years is our sort of youth development program. So... Um, you know, certainly in the early days, it, it was difficult. You kind of, everything's focusing on, on just getting the job done. But you know, as time goes on now, we've got, we've got apprenticeship schemes. We, we work with local um, universities and colleges on a, a graduation scheme as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, really, it's really important, I think, to keep investing in you, especially in engineering, where mm-hmm. you could see a, a real big gap in, in skill set from sort of the older generation and, and not so much sort of hands-on skill coming through. So, um important for us to to work on that and develop it. What's your advice to the next generation wanting to get into your field? There's no substitute for hard work. Um, Things don't happen overnight. I mean, it took took us probably the first four or five years of of really working hard to figure out what what we wanted to achieve and establish in our goals. But then I think it's really important then to to have a a mission and a vision and get, get everyone on board with um, working towards that. So, you know, it is a lot of hard work. It's a bit of a cliche, but 
it is what it is. But mm. um, yeah, I think it's a case of working at it day by day, being on the the right path, um, and getting everyone involved in in what you're trying to achieve long term. Um, you know, only only recently we get all our employees involved in um, not only the sort of yearly targets, but where we want to be over the next five and, and ten years. Um, try and get everyone pulling in the same direction. Sometimes, you know, things out of our control can uh, sort of deviate a little bit, but we're hopefully long term always on the, the right path. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think I think that's it. Have a plan, stick to it, um, yeah, and, and work hard at it. Well, why don't we roll back the years to when uh, you were early on in your career? Was there a particular leader who inspired you or in, uh, impacted the way that you uh, became a leader today? Do you know, really, I've got two very, um, very hardworking parents, um, and that's always been ingrained in you know mm-hmm. in me. So having time off work has always been absolute, uh, yeah, uh, absolute last last resort. Um, so I think that hard work comes from the parents and then um, just learning from different people over, over the years and then adapting adapting yourself and, you know, yeah, continuous learning really. So I can't actually say it's one specific person, but, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of reading and, uh, yeah, um, a lot of development, I think, is, is as much as it's been. And a lot of, yeah, goes back to that, that hard working ethic at the start. So just like charity, uh, hard work begins at home. Without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. Well, why don't we open this up to a bit of a, a wider spectrum? Objectively, if you had to choose, who would be the greatest leader, living or dead? <sighs> Difficult one, I know. Okay. That is, yeah. Do you know what you've got me on that one? I'm really not. I'm really not sure. Um, no, I'd have to come back to you on that. I'm sorry. Well, there, there are quite a quite a few examples. Uh, obviously, Churchill springs to mind, uh, but also there are some unorthodox examples as well. I'm sure, uh, whether it comes from uh, the the world of uh, religion or politics or sport, uh, it does seem there there are interesting leaders out there that many young people uh, can take example from. Um, what sort of what types of leaders inspire you? I think you know a lot of the uh, a lot of the corporation leaders. Um, you, know, you know, when when we look at our sort of our structure, but I'm more focused on sort of you know I read a book by Matthew Syed about black box thinking, which was probably rang more true with us because we go back to when we used to make a lot of mistakes and fix them as quickly as we possibly could, but mm-hmm. without taking the the time to really investigate why we made the mistakes and then put a procedure in place to. Um, correct it so I think there's been I think for me it's more examples of, of how you know how we can improve um, and as much as we look for aspiration from others you know mm-hmm. at the end of the day we, we do try and concentrate mostly on ourselves and, and just keep improving day by day so I, th- I think for me that's more where where our growth has come from just yeah continue improving as as, as, as people and, and the business as, as Unifabs. Now in your opinion what separates a good leader from a bad one? attitude is the yeah first and foremost I see I think back back when I was um, sort of young a young engineer and the way I used to see people get treated I think the way it's changed for me you know, over the years has been the attitude to how people get treated on the you know just, just in the working environment whether it's on the shop floor or or in the office and the way they get spoken to it used to be um, I think people used to be a lot more a lot harder on the employees 
when and nowadays we we feel that the better approach is to you know is to get the employees on board and work with them. Um, yeah, so I think that's the biggest change. But yeah, as far as leadership goes, I honestly believe it, it stems from the top, um, and that then flows through everything we do, say from the way we treat our customers to um, the way we treat treat our suppliers. And I think customer service now more than ever is just so important. I mean, it's the the one factor that we we try and concentrate on that separates us from um, you know our competitors is you know how we deal with with everything from from us, it's in it from the initial inquiry through to the, the progress of the contract, the delivery, to the after service. Um, so I think customer service has, um, yeah, has changed massively. I think the likes of Amazon, the way they sort of go around looking looking after their customers, I think we can all sort, sort of look at that and, and think, how can we improve? So um, I think customer service, but mm. yeah, from a leadership point of view, I think it just generally goes down from the top um, and, and attitude is key. Now, uh, we're quickly running into the end of our time. But before I let you go, if you could speak to yourself a decade ago, what leadership qualities would you tell yourself to embrace and which ones would you tell yourself to jettison? I think I would probably tell myself that things don't happen, you know, things don't happen overnight. So um, there's some things that, you know, I remember when we, we had our first child and I literally had a, a day off work <laughs> and I did the next day. So there's certain things like that, but you can't, you can't change your sort of DNA and, and the way you are, but um, we all want instant results. It, it's not the way. Um, I think the way is to, to make, make improvements and, and look at being on a, a long-term trajectory. You know, obviously the, the quicker you can, you can get on that, the better, but I think instant results don't happen. It's a case of working towards what you believe in. Um, yeah, and, and, and appreciating things as they happen. But um, things move so fast that, yeah, we, we yeah, very rarely take stock of our, our achievements. So, um, yeah, I think enjoy it while you can and then get on, get on with it and uh, get the hard work done. Well, Jason, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. I very much look forward to working with you again in the future sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was Jason Austin, Managing Director of Unifabs. Now joining us is Jonathan White with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, just, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously 
the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was in terms of inspiring confidence I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me I guess would be the captain Bob Noor although he was only uh, about eight months older than me he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it would be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most 
powerful influence who, who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. he, in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at times, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, mm. 
So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with. <laughs> well, no, like I, just that. Felt, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make again, laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, 
Jeff, I think um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, Is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but... There's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other in the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck that's absolutely leadership he'd be the best example of course in in football terms today Uh, easily easily and of course going back not that long ago Alex Ferguson who's just absolutely Mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this for a period of time a short period of time but if you look at the 25 26 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they've that they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they. Uh, Ron Green was yeah. Well, the, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. 
Um, that's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life 
to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.